Buying a house can feel like you're going 200 miles per hour in bumper-to-bumper traffic with a dirty windshield and the sun in your eyes. Ruoff Mortgage has the technology, expert staff, and resources to simplify the process while speeding up the time it takes to get clear to close. So while getting a loan can seem intimidating, Ruoff Mortgage will have you opening the door to your new home fast and stress-free. Visit Ruoff.com to learn more. That's Ruoff.com. NASCAR season is here, and everyone on the Toyota racing team is doing their part to perform at the highest level. From driver Ty Gibbs to amateur musician Russell Viper, who's working on the perfect pre-race pump-up track for the team. Start those Camrys up! Yeah! To accomplish greater things this year, everyone plays a part. Be part of the action at toyota.com slash racing. Toyota, let's go places. NASCAR is a registered trademark of National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing, Inc. The following is a production of the Motor Racing Network, the voice of NASCAR. Nice and clean, execute our race. Put ourselves in position, got to be there at the end. Yep, copy that. Have a nice, smooth day and try to be there when it counts. The Motor Racing Network presents NASCAR Live. You know, as a professional, I've, I've made it this far. Um, as a competitor, the one challenge that I haven't really faced is that challenge of, of racing for a championship. NASCAR Live is brought to you by Wheelan Engineering, a global leader in the emergency warning industry, trusted to perform since 1952 by Xfinity X5, internet that's more than just fast. Xfinity, proud premier partner of NASCAR. And by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of the Motor Racing Network. Blue Emu is family owned and manufactured here in America. It works fast and you won't stink. From the MRN Studios in Concord, North Carolina, here is your host, Mike Bagley. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of NASCAR Live here on the Motor Racing Network. Another edition of NASCAR Live and another year of NASCAR Live commences with this show. Mike Bagley and the entire MRN crew here with you as we open up year number 39 of NASCAR Live. We appreciate those of you that have been along for the ride since the start. And we appreciate those of you that are just joining the journey. On this week's show, we've got a lot for you, including a visit with Chase Elliott. Chase is going to stop by and talk about racing in the Chili Bowl in Tulsa, Oklahoma, plus what he's been up to in the offseason. Todd Gilliland has made some offseason news. He's on the move, and he'll join us on the show to talk about those moves here as well. Landon Castle is on the move as well. He'll talk about his plans for 2022. Plus, we've got some updates on the next-gen race car for the Cup Series and a Daytona 500 flashback to start the anticipation for this year's running of the Great American Race. But to get us started, as always, we bring in MRN's Kyle Rickey, who's here with the latest in headlines for the first week in 2022. Kyle? Mike, just days into the new year, testing has already resumed for select NASCAR teams. This week, Goodyear is conducting a tire test at the newly reconfigured and resurfaced Atlanta Motor Speedway in Georgia in preparation of the race weekend at the track in March. Participating Xfinity and truck teams are on track Tuesday and include Riley Herbst, John Hunter Nemechek, Tanner Gray, Ty Gibbs, Justin Allgaier, and Grant Infinger, while three cup cars will test Wednesday and Thursday. Ross Chastain, Chris Buescher, and Kurt Busch will be behind the wheel. The Atlanta race weekend is set for March 19th and 20th. And as the new season approaches, teams are putting final touches on their crew lineups. Several crew chief driver pairings have been announced this week, 
Drew Blickensturfer will be the new crew chief for Eric Almirola, replacing Mike Bugger-Ravage, who moves into the role of performance director for the team. Almirola and Blickensturfer have worked together before, five years ago, at Richard Petty Motorsports. In the NASCAR Xfinity Series, Luke Lambert has been named as the new crew chief for Noah Gregson at Junior Motorsports. Lambert has spent the last eight seasons in the NASCAR Cup Series at Richard Childress Racing, most recently as crew chief to Ryan Newman. Mike? Thank you, Kyle. We appreciate that. Coming up, we'll be joined by Chase Elliott, and later, Todd Gilliland will stop by. This NASCAR season, every member of the Toyota Racing Team is doing their part to take the trophy home. Like 6th grader Melissa Kowalski, who changes true to true X on every true-false quiz she takes. All my teachers are Martin Truex Jr. fans now. Keep up the great work, Melissa. To accomplish greater things this year, everyone plays a part. Be part of the action at toyota.com slash racing. Toyota, let's go places. NASCAR is a registered trademark of National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing, Inc. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. We welcome you back to NASCAR Live. And as we continue through the off-season, it's technically not an off-season for some because next week, it's the 36th renewal of the Chili Bowl Nationals in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And one driver in the hundreds of drivers that will be on the property is Chase Elliott. And he joins us now on NASCAR Live. Chase, welcome back to the show. How are we doing? Doing good. Appreciate you having me. Getting ready to go racing again a little earlier than normal, your second time through the Chili Bowl Nationals. What is the attraction for you to run those races? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's really just been uh, more than anything, just, you know, like I've been saying, a, a, an opportunity to kind of learn a different discipline and, and do something different. It's just, uh, you know, when you when you come along and you have opportunities, right, you know, you're, you're typically attracted to those that are going to challenge you most uh, in your region. And, and that can change depending upon where you live. For me, um, you know, dirt racing in the in the dirt late model side of things is certainly popular around the southeast. Uh, but the dirt or I'm sorry, the asphalt late model stuff was just kind of what uh, was around. And there was a lot, you know, a lot of that racing around home for me. Um <laughs> and uh, you know had new people that had had some history in it and was just a, a better route for myself uh, at the time so you know now that uh you know situations and circumstances are what they are now and, and have some opportunities to to go dabble in some different things i'm like man why why not go and try to learn a new discipline just something completely removed from anything i've ever done um you know i don't I don't mind getting embarrassed. I, I just want to get better, you know, and want to want to improve. And I think that's where, uh, you know, that's where I'm at right now is just just trying to take a step forward and, and continue to learn, uh, you know, and I want to see those things that I've learned come to uh, come to having better results and, you know, and, and showing improvement too uh, for for myself, for, for really no one, but just me and wanting to uh, you know, want to get a little better. It seems like that this has happened all of a sudden, not with just you. And I'm not talking Kyle Larson because he's always done this. But there are drivers that we've seen do NASCAR only or, or mainly NASCAR that like yeah. the, the barn doors have flown open. And whenever those opportunities present themselves, they do it. In the case of you, I know you say you want to be challenged, but was there something that happened to be like, you know what? I think I really am going to do this. Was there an aha moment that led you to do this? Honestly, no, it's. Um, I mean, I, I'm sure everyone's answer is probably personal 
to them and you know it's going to be different depending upon who you ask but uh for me no dirt racing has really been something i've enjoyed watching i've been keeping up and watching the chili bowl and watching world outlaw races and things for probably the past five or six years um and i think it just you know i became a big enough fan where i'm like man i would love to get involved and then the right opportunities kind of came along and and uh you know took those chances to go and and do them and um you know part of it is you know obviously Kyle this year but really what led to it all was you know Chase Briscoe you know asking me about asking me if I wanted to go drive one of his cars when he was testing um and that really kind of got me in on the on the midget side of things uh had it not been for him I'm not sure those opportunities would have ever led to what they are now so you know now I have a great partner you know A-Shock has been uh you know, they're a partner of ours on on the cup side and have have a couple cup races um we did a truck race last year and they've you know been involved in any of my uh endeavors outside of nascar so you know to have a great partner like that obviously you know helping me go do it and then kyle having me this year come and drive one of his cars and and things um just the right opportunities at the right time and why not uh, why not go one of the fascinating things about that style of racing it's so fast it's, I mean, the, yeah. the lap times are just incredible. We know what you guys do at Martinsville and Talladega and Kansas and all those. And, and we, we seeing you do it, we know what goes into that. And it's amazing watching you guys do what you do there. What is the mental processing time at a track like Tulsa, like the Chili Bowl, where lap times are so quick? You got to give input. You got to do this, this, this. And it seems like it's lightning fast. What is it like being in that environment compared to what you're normally in on Sunday afternoons or Saturday nights? Yeah, I think, you know, just the sense of urgency in those events in general, regardless, you know, regardless of the track size itself, there's uh, everything happens really quick and, and not just, you know, you mentioned the lap time. Yes, that, that is a, that is a piece of the puzzle, but for me, it's uh, the bigger challenge in that, in my opinion is um, hot laps or like, four or five laps you know and then you roll into qualifying and then you roll right into your heat race and then you get done with that and you have just a few beats and then you're running you know the whatever main you're in you know and it happens really really quick so there's not a lot of time to to process it and the next thing you know the night's over and it's like man I you know what have I what have I learned you know what how can I apply that and be better tomorrow if you're racing tomorrow if you have the opportunity to go back and do it again and I think that's where racing out in California, you know, had a few nights where we raced multiple nights in a row uh, was was helpful for me. Because aside from those races, it's been just like one here, one there. Uh, and I found myself kind of relearning some of the things I had learned last time uh, again. So nice to have that repetition, but it definitely is quick. Everything about it's quick. Um, but just like anything else, you know, certainly, you know, Bristol comes to mind when it comes to just the laps click off, uh, click off really fast, uh, but there is a rhythm to it, and I haven't found that rhythm. Um, yeah, I'll be the first one to say it. I feel like I have a have a really long ways to go, but there is a rhythm to it. You can watch the guys who are really good at it. Um, they're very in tune with what's going on around them. Uh, you know, can feel the race and 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 know when they're out of rhythm or know when they're in rhythm, and and all those things are are extremely valuable. So. Hopefully I can find some rhythm. I need some. I need some in those things. It's been been a struggle. So hopefully, uh, hopefully Chili Bowl goes a little better this year for me and 
can uh, can have some fun out there. I mean, you say you have challenges and you're learning and 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 you're challenging yourself. But I would imagine, too, that that's like a golf game. That's almost like a little time away from your main job, which is what you're about to start here, what, a month from Sunday in the clash. Is this that balance that maybe race car drivers like to have away from the main job? Um, yeah, I think in a sense, uh, probably so. But, I mean, for me personally, I'm still competitive, you know, and I want I want to do good, you know, and it's still a it's still a race car. You know, you're still um, still going and driving, but certainly not doesn't feel like a job you know by any means I don't know that any of it really feels much like a like a real job so we're very we're very lucky from that standpoint in general but um yeah I mean it, it's uh you know a new a new challenge and and you know obviously it's not as new as it once was for me I do have some time now and have some races under my belt um you know I want to get better you know I, I do I expect to go and win the chili bowl like no I mean I, I know kind of realistic I'm a pretty realistic person uh, but I do want to get better and I, I do think I'm I'm a capable enough driver to to improve and to get to a better place than I'm at right now and uh, that's where I'm that's where I'm challenging myself to be is just to keep improving and um, I feel like I know enough about racing and have watched enough of that style of racing in particular and um you know, I can be good enough to be better than where I'm at. So that's uh, where my head's at now is just to take what I've learned and, you know, apply it and, and, you know, get some results and improvements. Hey, appreciate the time, my friend, all the best to you running the alphabet out there in Tulsa next week in the chili bowl. And uh, looking forward to seeing you and Alan and the rest of the Napa number nine and the Hendrick Motorsports crew in Daytona for speed weeks. Yeah, man. Thanks. Better than the F we're just trying to, we're trying to better the F main. So uh hopefully we can pull that off next week but looking forward to it thanks that's chase elliott more coming up here on nascar live sir are you aware you were going 40 miles an hour this is a residential area sure but i'm on my lawnmower wait am i getting a ticket no i've just never seen anyone top nine miles an hour on one of those bad boys and mow their entire lawn in 30 seconds what got into you well, it did fuel up at Sunoco this morning. At Sunoco, we know how to fuel peak performance. We've been doing it for American Racing for over 50 years. Fuel your best. NASCAR Live is brought to you by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of the Motor Racing Network. Blue Emu is family-owned and manufactured here in America. It works fast, and you won't stink. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. It's been a busy offseason for Todd Gilliland. He made the announcement of major plans for 2022. In case you missed it, Jason Toy is here to get us caught up with that North Carolina native. Joining us now, NASCAR Cup Series Sunoco Rookie of the Year candidate and driver of the front row motorsports Ford number 38 car this year in that Mustang. It's Todd Gilliland. Todd, how you been, man? I've been really good. Um, you know, me and you were just talking about, it. it's been a really exciting off season so far. So um, I don't know if this one can ever be topped, but uh, we're giving it our best chance. And still, like you said, a very exciting year ahead of us. Um, you know, running my first first cup season in the uh, 38 Mustang. Well, before we get to that point, you know, you and I, like I said, we're talking off the air about this. The last, what, month, a month and a half has been huge for you. Not only do you get the, the call up to the cup series for front row, but you got engaged to uh, to your lovely girlfriend now and in, in, uh, now uh, fiance Marissa. You guys have been together for a long time, and 
now you've uh, you finally stepped up to the pump good job yeah thank you and uh i'm definitely looking forward to that it's definitely a lot of work man i gotta go look at some venues and um a bunch of stuff so that's i guess that's the next step how's it work how's that gonna work into your cup schedule this year right i mean with only one off weekend in the middle of the summer um guess we're gonna have a cold wedding that's what's looking like <laughs> Well, let's talk about this transition going from the truck series to the cup series. Is it a deal where it's a good opportunity because it's a new car? You're going to be learning just as the team's going to be learning. Was it the perfect time to make that transition? Yeah, I think, you know, that's what everyone said, that there really is no better time. Um, I think personally, and, and everyone kind of knows, it's still going to be such a big transition from the truck series to the cup series. I'm still going to have so much to learn, but I guess if you could just take away you know, small portion of the car side of it to more level the playing field on that side of it. I think that will help me for sure. Um, but I think really the most invaluable thing is just having a team that is really believing in me and, and behind me hundred percent. So um, that just gives me a lot of confidence going, you know, first to these tests um, you know, we have two more before the season starts, but then the first few races um, just, it's really important to get off to a good start and hopefully, you know, get off to, good relationships with everyone that I'm going to be working with. Normal progression we've seen over the years with NASCAR has been maybe coming in through K&N like you did. You're a two-time champ in the West and now the Arco West and East and uh, moved up to the truck series. And the normal progression always had to take to the Xfinity series. You bypassed that. Why that jump over to go to the Cup series? Well, I think you just really have to look at the, like your options and, um, you know, really what's available to you. I think, like I said, it, just having the team at Front Row Motorsports have believed in me. Um, you know, we could have maybe turned some of their old cars from last year into Xfinity cars, but it maybe not would have been 100% the um, you know the best possible um, chassis going you know to those races. So I think it's really there's so many different options, so many different ways that this offseason could have gone. But um, like we talked about, I, I think no better year than now to get into the Cup Series and. You know, those are the guys that I want to be racing against for the rest of my career. Um, I want to be at the Cup Series level. I know, like I said, I'm going to have a lot to learn. And, um, you know, maybe some of that could have been helped in the Xfinity Series. But honestly, I think the way that the the Cup Series racing has looked over the last few years with big spoiler, more of a pack style restart, and then, you know, kind of gets strung out with a lot of on throttle time. I feel like that's honestly more like a truck, uh, even than an Xfinity car over the last few years. So. Um, I'm just really looking forward to the new challenges. You're teaming up with Seth Barber as your crew chief. And, you know, you talked about the tests you guys have had so far. What's been the biggest adjustment for you in that transition that you've been having to work through in these tests? Yeah, I only have had a, a two, two day test so far at Charlotte. And um, I mean, just, I was super nervous the first day. So it was really nice to just get it under my belt, get some laps, kind of just go, go with the flow and, you know, make it through the first day. And then the second day we were really um, I felt more like myself just working through changes and, and you know, kind of just doing a race car driver's job of trying to get the car faster, um, communicating with your team what you need to, to do just that, go faster. And um, I think all that's been off to a good start. We were able to, to do some of the pack races um, at the last test, trying to um, get the tires to go, you know, 30 laps plus. So uh, I think all that was a really, really fun experience and just definitely a lot of, uh, a lot of learning even in the 15 car restarts, um, just shifting the dash, trying to read the dash in a hurry. I think all those things are just uh, 
you know, the stuff that you want to get out of the way before first race. You know, Bob Jenkins has built Front Row Motorsports into a, a team that was the little team that could and picked up a win, and of course with your dad and also with Michael in the 500 last year. And But it's a team that's still compared to the bigger Hendricks and other teams as well. Does this new car maybe level the field a little bit more, you think, this year? Yeah, I think as a driver, you definitely want to think that it won't definitely wouldn't expand the gap you, you wouldn't think i mean we have the same parts and pieces that the, the top guys do now i think the top guys are still going to engineer through things faster maybe get to the point get to a certain point faster and then there's always going to be the natural progression of you know we're still going to get these cars faster and better lighter along the way so i think that's a thing where maybe you know we could fall behind but i know front row motorsports has so many smart people um that you know they're working day and night on the same thing so um i would definitely like to think that the the car parts and pieces um and then along with the really smart people that we have they would definitely um kind of tighten up the gap i'd say i like to ask this of a lot of young drivers when they come in knowing the expectation of the fact that you're a racer you want to win every time you go out what are the realistic expectations for you guys in your rookie season this year yeah, that's a tough one. I think, uh, you know, personally, I just want to finish as many laps as possible. Um, I think that's going to be really important this coming year in general, just with the lack of inventory off the bat. You know, we don't have many of these cars together. Just they're still really trying to trying to produce everything um, as fast as they can. So I think as far as that, you're not going to start the season with many. And then just from an experience side and getting all the laps possible, um, I think is, is my main goal. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, obviously, front row, set up the truck program that you drove for the last couple of years. You had the number 38. You're going to drive the number 38 in the Cup Series. Very special because of not only for you, but for your dad and your granddad, Butch, as well. So, I mean, how how much of an honor is it for you to carry that legacy on in the Cup Series now, the third generation? Yeah, that is a, a really, really cool story. Um, you know, that... I don't think I really even know the full effect of now. You know, it's it'll be so cool when we get to Daytona in the Cup Series with 38 car. Um, you know, it's really probably some of my first memories of my dad is a 38 M&M's car at Daytona. And, um, <clears throat> just to be able to do that myself, and, and it's just crazy how how life works out. You know, just so many different things could have taken me a different way, and, and here we are. Um, got joined up with Front Row Motorsports, like you said, a couple of years ago in the 38, and then. Um, just to have this opportunity to open up in the 38 Cup car also. You know, it's it's crazy how everything works out, but I'm definitely, you know, really excited to, to start hearing even more of the stories once we get racing. Thank you, Jason. Coming up, Landon Castle. And later, some updates on the next-gen race car. Today's broadcast is brought to you by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of the Motor Racing Network. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. Landon Castle has released some exciting news over the holidays about what he'll be doing in 2022. Our Steve Post chatted with the veteran about where we'll see him this season. Landon Castle joins us here on NASCAR Live. Landon, Happy New Year. Welcome to 2022. <laughs> Thank you very much. I think this is my first time acknowledging and saying that. Yes, it's 2022. I can't imagine Landon with uh, with with where you're going with College Racing, the full-time Xfinity Series deal, 
I can't imagine your level of anticipation and excitement when we look forward to this season and this this racing season. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a new it's a new challenge for me, and it's it's the one that as a driver, um, you know, that especially a driver like myself that's made so many starts and been in the series for so long, um, it's it's the challenge that we all hope for. You know, I mean, uh, it, this is the opportunity to have fast race cars to work with good people. Um, that uh, that can make these cars go fast. This, this is what every driver is hoping for. Your career has been fascinating because I think if we'd looked at a snapshot of 2005, 2006, uh, you get hired by Hendrick Motorsports and you've evolved into kind of a journeyman driver for lack of a better term. Um, it, it's had to be quite the journey for you to get to this spot for this huge opportunity. It, it really has. I mean, I, I've honestly at the end of the day this is this is how i make my living and it's how i've had to make my living for for 10 years i say had to it's how i've chosen to make my living um you know i've always wanted to be a professional race car driver and and so i feel like as a driver i faced as a professional i've faced every professional challenge there is to to see um you know, I, I've I've been in business. I've been out of business. I've gotten paid. I've not gotten paid. Uh, you know, as a professional, I've I've made it this far. Um, as a competitor, the one challenge that I haven't really faced is that challenge of of racing for a championship. Um, and so that's gonna that's the new thing for me. You know, that's where I have to take everything that I've that I've worked on and and. Um, you know, developed in myself for the last decade and say, how can I turn this into a championship effort? And, and, and what types of things are you focusing on when you, when you start to look at that? Because it is going to be a different world. You, you <clears throat> spent a lot of times where wins were top 20s, you mm -hmm. know, maybe we can sneak a top 15 into, into the, the thing. This is a total different world for you though. Yeah, so I, the, the first step for me is, is just looking at my team and my teammates um, you know, our team president, Chris Rice, AJ Allmendinger, Daniel Hemrick, um, those that I'm going to look at their body of work first. You know, the, the cars that I'm driving won races last year. Um, they won races on short track, oval, um, you know, uh, road courses. So I can start with looking at their body of work and say, okay, how did they get there? Um, and then for myself, it's just a matter of looking back on my career and knowing, all of the routines that I've created, all of the all of the things that I've done to maximize myself as a driver, even as a 15th place driver, um, a lot of those habits and work ethics will translate into being a winning driver. I just have to be in those winning positions and and sort of execute on all of that um, to pull it off. So so yeah, I mean starting you know starting at a place like College Racing is is a great start because you just like I said you look at their body of work, they've got the trophies, they've done it. Um, and and I've got the data to see it. I can look on SMT. I can look at you know AJ's final restarts at Bristol and in Michigan, um, and see how he was driving their cars. I can talk to him and actually you know figure out what what he feels in those cars, and and we'll be learning that um, you know as we go. I look at you, the trio of you. I look at you and your career, which we've talked about a little bit. I've looked at AJ, who's been the highest of highs, lowest of lows, and, and now has found just a sweet spot. And then Daniel, when's he going to win? When's he going to win? When's he going to win? And, and, and coming off from that, 
there, there's got to be a common struggle. Is, is there a common vibe between the three of you guys? Well, I think that you do have a very, um, you do have a lot of similar drivers in this camp with the yeah. three of us. Um, you know, Daniel Hemrick, that nobody, you know, nobody knows this really, but I'm sure it'll be brought up plenty of times this year. Daniel and I raced go-karts against each other when we were like nine years old. Um, so he's a driver that I've known for a very, very long time. In fact, he, you know, he was a guy that when I was nine years old, I watched him get through the corner in a go-kart and was like, oh my God, that kid is fast. <laughs> he's good. Um, I've always thought that Daniel was one of the best drivers that I've ever seen. Um, and that's from when I was a little kid. So, you know, Daniel and I have had a very similar career path, starting out in the same type of go-karts, moving up to Legends cars. We both raced straight rail late models in the Southeast and all over the country. Um, and then with AJ, I mean, I've, I've been racing with AJ in the Cup Series since my first Cup start. He was already there. So, I mean, I've AJ is no stranger to me. Um, and so you do have... Even, and, and AJ and I have a totally different racing background, but it feels like we come from the same place because we both have been racing, you know, in NASCAR for over a decade together. So yeah, there is this very similar, a lot of similarities between the three of us as, as drivers and as professionals, right? So, you know, we're the three of us, we, you know, we, we don't come from deep family money by any means. We're all just professional race car drivers, you know, building our own business in, in its own way. Thank you, Posty. Coming up, we'll talk the next-gen race car and later, a Daytona 500 flashback. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. We're just a few weeks away from the next-gen car finally making its on-track debut at Daytona International Speedway. However, there's been some testing and some tweaking going on to the car. Let's check in and see where that next-gen car stands. Even though it's the off-season, NASCAR has stayed busy over the holiday break, preparing for the debut of the next-gen race car. NASCAR has made a ton of progress with the car, fixing problems with cooling and steering during a test at the Charlotte Motor Speedway in November. First of all, I want to say like publicly thank you to the, the whole conglomerate of the sport to get it cooled down inside because a month ago I would have been like sitting in the hauler dumping ice on my head. And now I walked over here not even sweating. Um, even though it is cool out here, they've done a lot for inside the car. With those issues fixed, the drivers turned their focus on how the cars would drive around each other. And they all zeroed in on something that might help. More horsepower. I just keep raising my hand up for max horsepower and to keep the downforce the same everywhere we go. Uh, if you have 670, you're probably just trying to find downforce in your cars every week and not trying to find downforce and less drag. So you're probably going to spend less on, not spend less, but just you can, you can dial in your resources to doing one thing versus trying to you know, do multiple things. So Right now you don't have enough power to start a pass when somebody screws up. You know, I think that the, the, the power is, is key. There's no way that the car behind you is ever going to be as good as the car in front of you. So if, we, you, know, if you can make the car drive good and, and make handling part of the process, which everybody wants, everybody, everybody wants the car to be hard to drive but you want a balanced car the teams were back at charlotte just before christmas and after testing a 670 horsepower package in mock races the drivers are getting their wish um, i would say we're more than likely going with that 
number across all of our tracks. Uh, we've still got kind of a few boxes to check post-test here where we get together with our OEs and, and the teams and just confirm that's the direction we want to go with. But everything we've seen uh, so far that tells us that that's the, the horsepower we want to target and go with. Steve O'Donnell also explained why NASCAR made the changes from 550 horsepower to the 670 package and how the racing would be different from the most recent package. Uh, in comparison of 550 to 670, we, we lean more towards 670. Um, certainly a little bit more spread out when you, when you restart a race, um, but with the tire wear and what Goodyear's been able to do, um, what you're seeing is kind of that comers and goers that we used to have in racing, uh, the ability to kind of maintain speeds. And, and at this point, it's just getting the drivers, you know, to a comfort level where you can run too wide, um, where you have the ability to pass and where we don't have that wake that's so, so noticeable in the past. So I think it's a balance between where we were with maybe a restart of five laps of, you know, three wide to, you know, harder to pass during a run. Uh, to where as, as you look at this package, you're going to see hopefully, you know, some movement throughout the field throughout a run. More testing of the next-gen car is still taking place this week at Atlanta and later this month in Daytona, but we are just over a month away from the car making its true debut in the Bushlight Clash at the L.A. Coliseum. Coming up, a Daytona 500 flashback, and later we've got some silly season updates. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. Welcome back to NASCAR Live. We're just about a month and a half away from the Daytona 500. So we thought we'd start building some excitement now with flashbacks to some of the best 500s we've seen over the years. And what a better way to start than 20 years ago with the 2002 running of the Great American Race. The 2002 Daytona 500 is likely a race which is memorable in the minds of many racing fans. It would result in an upset victory for Ward Burton and team owner Bill Davis, and it had all the elements to make it a classic Daytona race. It featured some rookies who would impact the sport for the next 20 years, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Ryan Newman, and Jimmy Johnson. And it marked Johnson's first career pole, a sign of big things to come for Jimmy and the 48 team. As the green flag flew, the front row featured two young drivers seeking to establish themselves at the sport's premier level and they would come to dominate their peers. The great American race about to get underway. Green flag goes in the air, and we are underway as they swing out of the trioval and head down to turn number one. Remember, they're running restrictor plate engines. It'll take a lap or so before we really see the three and four wide racing that we expect, particularly in the early going. They head for two. Front row is side by side. Kevin Harvick on the outside of Jimmy Johnson as they go wheel to wheel. Right behind them, Jeff Gordon and Michael Waltrip. One car not getting a good start. Ricky Rudd, he dropped back about four spots, but he's charging up the inside. Field moves on to the Super stretch for the first time this afternoon. Kevin Harvick forges ahead to the race lead, bringing Michael Waltrip along into second. Dale Earnhardt Jr. to third. Jimmy Johnson sliding back. Shuffle backward now as he works off the end of the super stretch. Tony Stewart will flash by. He'll get the fourth position. Now it's side by side for fifth. Jimmy Johnson faces the challenge from Jerry Nadeau, all four. Johnson falls down to the inside of the racetrack. Luckily, his teammate and car owner, Jeff Gordon, is right there to help him draft back up to the front. Pulls him up alongside Jerry Nadeau as the front four go nose to tail up to turn one. Early in the race, Tony Stewart would go behind the wall and be done for the day. We check into the garage. Yeah, uh, Tony Marty, Stewart. We, uh, just talked to Greg Zepidelli as, uh, as he was leaving the pit area. He said the motor 
blew up big. Adam Alexander was in search of Tony Stewart. Yeah, yeah Tony Stewart Dave is Blaney off the uh, coast as we go back down into the, the garage. Yeah, Tony Stewart has just come from the Home Depot Pontiac. Doesn't look like Tony's going to want to talk at this point. Obviously, a disappointing day. Actually, Tony, can you tell us what happened? We hear a motor. Do you know for sure? That's the motor. I just don't know what happened. It, uh, it laid down on the start a little bit, and then uh, you know, as the lap went on, it laid down even more. So uh, just you know, glad I didn't cause a wreck, you know, trying to get off the track. The hard part was uh, it laid down going into the banking, and there was nowhere to really go. I was right on the bottom of the track, so just glad everybody got by us clean. Everybody in the garage area thought he was the man to beat today. Unfortunately, motor problems take Tony Stewart out of the Daytona 500. Man, that has really got to take the sap out of it. You spend all winter long working on a car, feeling like you have a shot to win, which he certainly did here. He ran so good in the Bud Shootout, as we said, winning that, ran good in the qualifying races, the Gatorade 125s, and then making a couple of laps here in the garage. Despite the disappointing start to the season, Stewart would recover and go on to be the 2002 champion. But it seemed that throughout the race that day, the strongest contenders were suffering most of the misfortune. Shortly after Stewart's day had ended, for example, several other favorites experienced setbacks. We said talk about some strange twists and turns of the Daytona 500. Already one of the favorites to win here this afternoon, Tony Stewart has gone to the garage, parked his machine for the day with an engine problem. Dale Earnhardt Jr. cuts down a tire going over into turns one and two and has done a lot of sheet metal damage to his car. He is back in the pits again. Back to Jim Phillips. They're working on the right front, Barney. That's where all uh, of the effort is concentrated. I look at the rear end, and it looks like it is tracking okay. It's not been pushed over at all, so that's a plus for Dale Earnhardt Jr. The race eventually settled into a rhythm during which nothing unusual happened. There were the cycles of lead changes and pit stops, as is to be expected. But everyone was anticipating the big one. And then it happened. And it was big. Terry Labonte and Bobby Labonte have both been shuffled back in the field. Bobby Labonte was a strong player in the Daytona 5. Well, trouble in turn one. In the front of the pack, he's in trouble. Kevin Harvick slams the outside retaining wall. He gets labeled by John Andretti. A massive pileup in turn one and two. 10, 12, 15, 18 cars and more involved. One car making it through somehow was Ryan Newman. Robbie Gordon goes to the grass. A number of cars piled up, one bursting in a flame down on the apron. Caution is on the speedway. It'll become the fifth one of the afternoon for a big incident down in turns one and two. Cars scattered all over the apron of the racetrack. Let's go back over to Dave Moody. They went three wide, Barney, battling for the second position. Kevin Harvick got into the side of Jeff Gordon, it appeared, shot straight up the banking, head on into the outside retaining wall, and then it all broke loose at least a dozen. I would not be surprised if 18 to 20 cars were involved. A large number of contenders for the win either were forced to continue with compromised race cars or were eliminated from further competition altogether. And then with 40 laps to go, everyone clicked into high gear and another multi-car pileup created more chaos and took out even more hopefuls. After everything reset, it came down to a final restart to decide who would go to victory lane? Ward Burton trying to win the biggest race of his life. As he comes down to the line, he's going to see the white flag. One lap to go. Elliot Sadler right behind him. Jeffrey Bodine, Dale Jarrett, Mark Martin, and Ryan Newman. They go after him. And trouble. One car gets tapped, spins out of line, and a big plume of smoke skitters all the way off to turn number one, and that will be Dale Jarrett's machine as they race off to turn two. Jarrett is out of it. Burton is on the move. He has got three car lengths in hand. Ward Burton off.
off turn two for the checkers. Here comes Ward Burton onto the super stretch for the final time this afternoon. Elliot Sadler, two car lengths behind him with Jeffrey Bodine in third. Then comes Kurt Busch, but it's Ward Burton in front in turn three. This is for all the marbles in the great American race. Ward Burton brings the field back to turns three and four. It's been since 1977 when a Dodge won at Daytona in a Winston Cup event. Today it happens again. Ward Burton is going to win the 44th Daytona 500. Ward Burton, Elliot Sadler, Jeffrey Bodine is third. Kurt Busch is fourth and fifth is Michael Waltrip to pit road with phil davis the car owner it's been a long time coming oh, man. congratulations how, how big is this you know the daytona 500 this is it i i'm so excited for this team and everybody caliper you know we, this thing stuck together for a long time and this is what comes to good people when did you think you had a chance to win it oh i don't know i mean we raced hard all day and they had all those problems what a wild race you look like martinsville I, we thought we had a good car all week but uh, it got awful good at the end the winning car owner, Bill Davis, in the Caterpillar Dodge. You won the granddaddy of them all at Darlington, the Southern 500, and now you won the biggest of them all. How does it feel to win the Daytona 500? Oh, it feels great. It hadn't sunk in yet, but I tell you what, this race team has been working really hard, and, and we've gained a bunch. Bill Davis Racing support group gotten stronger every year, and I'm just a part of it. So my hat's off to all of them and Caterpillar. I tell you what, uh, Dodge has had a big part of us being here today, and we really appreciate all their support. Too. Tell us about the first part of this race today. Uh, you weren't there in the mix. Is that was that plan to get there a little bit later? No, my car ran better uh, on older tires, and uh, you know you got to be there at the end of the race. And uh, some of the things that were going on uh, early in the race wasn't very predicted to be there at the end, and we were just trying to be real careful. We really dodged a bullet over there when the 29 lost it, but. Uh, Got to have a little luck, too. Ward Burton had won the Daytona 500 in dramatic fashion. Dodge was back in victory lane at Daytona, and team owner Bill Davis, a man who enjoyed considerable success in the sport, had scored what would prove to be his only win at the World Center of Racing. The 2002 Daytona 500 stands as a memorable example of the drama, the crashes, and the triumph of a classic great American race. Thank you, Kurt. Coming up, we'll update you on Silly Season Matters. This is NASCAR Live. Now, back to Mike Bagley. We're about to head for the exits on this week's NASCAR Live. Before we do, I'd like to give you a Silly Season update. It's pretty much wrapped up, but it's been a while. So let's remind you of everything that's changing for 2022. The NASCAR silly season seems to start earlier and earlier every year. Normally, the weeks after the championship race is when details about off-season moves are revealed. But for 2021, the silly season is all but done. We know the major moves and who is going where. Here's how the garage will look next year. But we're here to announce that uh, Trackhouse Entertainment Group and Trackhouse Racing has purchased the NASCAR operation of Chip Ganassi Racing. Trackhouse has acquired all of the NASCAR assets of, of Ganassi Racing, including all the equipment and its two charters. Um, Trackhouse will take ownership of the assets at the conclusion of the 2021 racing season. Uh, Daniel Suarez, who is a currently current driver for um, Trackhouse Racing in the number 99 Chevrolet, uh, will continue as one of our drivers, and we will be discussing uh, a second driver at a later date. Um, which is a confirmation that Trackhouse Racing will be fielding two uh, full-time NASCAR Cup Series entries uh, starting in 2022 and moving uh, deep into the future. 
After the major announcement of Trackhouse buying Chip Ganassi Racing, both Ross Chastain and Kurt Busch needed to find rides. Trackhouse only had one spot to fill, tapping Ross Chastain to join the team and be Daniel Suarez's teammate for 2022. Kurt Busch kept his plans behind closed doors for a bit longer, finally revealing he would be joining 2311 Racing and becoming Bubba Wallace's teammate. Wow, what an incredible opportunity. Thank you, everybody, for joining in this morning. And to see the power of the people in this call today and the representation of Monster Energy, Toyota, and to have 2311 as a team that is now moving the needle in the sport of NASCAR asking me to drive for them. Uh, this this ultimately comes down to the, the, the power of friendships, the opportunity of timing, and the will to win. But Denny is the one that really started to, to create the traction for this opportunity, and there's so many people to thank. 2311 scored their first win in 2021 with Wallace, and team co-owner Denny Hamlin has full faith that adding Kurt Busch to the roster will elevate the program. Dava. Someone with championship pedigree, winning pedigree coming in and help us build this, build this program to where we want it to be. And when I say build it, that doesn't mean that, you know, we, we don't expect to go out there and win. We do. Um, you know, my vision and Toyota's vision and uh, the vision of all of our partners are very, very aligned and uh, can't wait to, to get to work on this. Uh, this takes us to the next level. And I believe that, uh, you know, Kurt and his experiences will help you know, raise the elevation of our team uh, beyond what uh, anyone else could. After some shuffling at Penske, Austin Centric will be driving the iconic number two car in 2022. And driving the two car for, for Roger and Team Penske certainly comes with a great responsibility and, and, and obviously great heritage. Um, you know, I, I really appreciate the kind of words Mr. Penske shared about my career, my progression, but I, I wouldn't be here without without Roger, without all the people at Team Penske, you know, for, for the last however many years I've been developing myself within this sport and I've obviously come a long way and it's been it's been a lot of fun and, and, and to be able to tackle this head on and obviously have a partner like Discount Tire uh, along with us and, and, and sticking with, with our company and, and, and with me behind the wheel of the car it's it's, it's pretty exciting. Although Cindric was previously slated to move into the 21 Wood Brothers car, circumstances changed when Keselowski announced he was leaving Penske. Ralph Fenway Racing and Brad Keselowski will be starting a partnership in 2022. And this is an unbelievably unique arrangement for us. And it's something that in our mind kind of solidifies and fortifies our future and guarantees that we're going to be at the top and trying to excel for decades to come. And so the transaction essentially has kind of three pieces. Uh, that's why we kind of say it's a little bit different than the, the normal arrangement that we've entered into in the past. And the first is that Brad will, will be behind the wheel of the number six car starting in 2022 and will pilot that vehicle for, for years to come. He will also be purchasing a minority owners, ownership stake in the company. So along with Roush Industries and Jack and the Fenway Group, that triumvirate will lead us from a strategic pack, uh, perspective for years to come. And then very importantly, Brad will also be assuming a leadership mantle at our organization. Uh, even while he's driving, he will be on the, the competition committee. And then once his driving career runs its course, whenever that may be and whenever he decides that that's the time, uh, he will shift over into an even greater role leading our competition side. The rumors about this move were everywhere, but it was more than anticipated. Brad Keselowski will be driving for Roush, but also setting himself up for a post-driving career something a lot of current drivers are doing. 
So if Austin Cindric is moving to the number two car, who will be driving the Wood Brothers in that legendary 21? Well, that would be Harrison Burton. The 21-year-old joins the Ford camp after being with Toyota and Joe Gibbs Racing thus far in his career. Folks, that's going to put a wrap on this week's show. We'd like to thank Chase Elliott for stopping by. Also, Landon Castle and Todd Gilliland for joining us. I'm Mike Bagley. For the rest of the MRN crew, we thank you for joining us as well. And we'll chat with you again next week right here on NASCAR Live. Until then, so long, everybody. NASCAR Live is a production of the Motor Racing Network with studios in Concord, North Carolina, and was brought to you by Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief, the official pain relief cream of the Motor Racing Network. Blue Emu is family-owned and manufactured here in America. It works fast, and you won't stink. Today's broadcast was produced by Alexa Henrian and Julian Council. The executive producer for MRN is Ryan Horn. Remember to visit MRN.com for all of the latest news and information. NASCAR Live is produced under an exclusive license with NASCAR. Any use of the accounts or descriptions contained in this broadcast must be with the express written permission of NASCAR and the Motor Racing Network. Ruoff Mortgage wants to welcome you home with their fast and stress-free mortgage process. Ruoff knows that when you're ready to move, you want to keep things moving. From the moment you start, Ruoff makes sure the process moves quickly, often twice as fast as other lenders, so you can close quickly and settle in sooner. Visit Ruoff.com to learn how you can qualify for the fastest loan of your life. That's Ruoff, R-U-O-F-F dot com.